Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Did you come ready to worship today? I hope so. Did you come ready to worship our good and great God today? Amen. Amen. That is our purpose today, not to elevate anyone else besides God. Amen. Well, church, I am so grateful just to have the opportunity, as always, to be together in worship because it is such a gift that we have to proclaim God's name on high. And so, church, it is just a privilege. My name is Pastor Rose. I serve as the associate pastor here at Sanctuary. Usually I say one of the associate pastors, but we're kind of feeling the bittersweet reality that now Pastor Mike has moved on to a new role. So we are both um, feeling the void of his presence, but also celebrating um, what's to come for him. So um, our senior pastor is Pastor Edrin Williams, and he is on vacation right now. So church, please be praying for him. A much-deserved vacation for him and Shaniqua, his wife. So please pray for uh, just uh, rejuvenation and encouragement for them and connection. Well, it is so great to be uh, together in worship. We are in a sermon series right now called Road Trip, hence all the signs around here. Um, and we are using this quintessential uh, summer experience to really encourage us on the journey of discipleship. Because discipleship, after all, can be very similar to a road trip. It's a journey with a destination, but getting there is half the fun, right? It's a journey that has a specific direction, but we often take scenic routes along the way. And it's a journey that we don't travel alone. We share it with other people on the road. So today's sermon title is Roadblocks. Flat tires and detours. Because we know on any road trip, we have to consider the reality of interruptions and disappointments, right? And they are inevitable, especially when we live in Minnesota when we have construction season, right? So um, we'll be looking at roadblocks, flat tires, and detours. But as we put it in the context of discipleship, on the journey of following Jesus the question really is, is how do we deal with difficulties along the way? How do we deal with an inevitable detour? We have to take a different route. Well, I believe that our passage today will give us good insight to that question today. So I want to ask you to turn to Romans, which is in the New Testament. And we're going to be reading Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. In God's word says this today. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of decay and will obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in a hope we were saved. Amen? 
Now hope is that is that um, now hope that is seen is not hope. For hope for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is God's word. Amen? So church, do we come today this morning, today with weariness? Do we come today, are any of us experiencing such despair for the world today like that's described in our verse? If we're not, then I, I believe, church, that we're not truly paying attention to what's happening in our world because the world is truly groaning. Now, often this section, this passage of Scripture is titled, and you might see it in your own Bibles, titled as Present Suffering, Future Glory. Present Suffering, Future Glory. And we'll see what God says through Paul about our difficulties, our sufferings today, both our personal and our collective, and the future hope and assurance that we have. Amen? So this morning, we'll see from Paul's words to the Romans that on the journey of discipleship, rejection, failure, and and disappointment are inevitable. So we must first plan for it. Second, be patient in it. Third, pray through it. And fourth, and finally, project forward with the longer view in mind. This, I believe, is what Paul tells us. But before we get to the context and the application, we need to step back for a moment. We need to step back, and and, and in order to understand Romans 8 and understand this topic of discipleship, we actually have to look back at Luke 4. In Luke 4, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, it says this. When he came, which is Jesus, when he came to Nazareth, Where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled it up, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this passage of Scripture is often known as Jesus' mission statement here on earth, his mission statement. It's also a passage of Scripture commonly titled, The Rejection of Jesus at Nazareth. Friends, before we can explore how we are to respond in times of rejection and failure and disappointment on the discipleship journey, we first need to ask, what is discipleship? 
Now, I think that Pastor Edrin really has already answered this for us. So then I believe the next question we have to ask is if we are called to make disciples, and that is the work of the church, then what kind of disciple are we supposed to be making? What kind of disciple are we supposed to be making? What are we supposed to be doing as Jesus' disciples? Because the reality is we could be making disciples of all sorts of things that aren't Jesus, right? There's disciples of a genie Jesus. You know a genie Jesus? That's the kind of Jesus that grants all of your wishes. We could follow a prosperity Jesus who guarantees that only blessings will come in our life. We could also follow a petty Jesus. Anyone know a petty Jesus? Petty Jesus withholds love and grace until we've got ourselves together. Petty Jesus doesn't give us love until we're more deserving of it. That's not the real Jesus, right? Please, someone say amen. That's not the real Jesus. There's also white Jesus. This is the kind of Jesus who endorses the dominant instead of elevating the downcast. That's not the true Jesus. So that's why I read Luke chapter 4 first. Luke chapter 4, as Jesus' mission statement, says very clearly who Jesus is, who the real Jesus is, and what he came to do. To bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. That's the real Jesus. That's the Jesus we follow, amen? But as 21st century Christians, especially for me and my my white brothers and sisters, we can easily assume Jesus' work was just spiritual. Now, it is spiritual, it absolutely is, but that's not all of it. We can assume that the poor only means the poor in spirit without Jesus in their heart yet, which is true, but not all of it. Or the captives and the oppressed are those who are bound in their sin. That's true, but not all of it. Or that Jesus' work um, with, the, with um, those who are in our society who aren't free yet, we can see that as a spiritual freedom. It is that. It's not all of that. Jesus' work was spiritual. It does mean those things. We all can confess together that that is how we were delivered through the Spirit. But church, Jesus' mission is also a social mission. It's practical. It is a practical mission of justice and restoration of our broken society that creates a different kind of world, right? A, A world where the poor are not ignored and dehumanized. A, a, A world where those who are imprisoned are not ignored who are not serving disproportionately unjust sentences, who are, where a, a world where our systems and structures do not perpetuate oppression. Jesus' order is something different. So churches, no wonder that in Luke 4, Jesus' mission statement is often titled in our Bibles as the rejection of Jesus at, at Nazareth because Jesus came to proclaim something radical. He came to proclaim a love, a freedom, a restoration that would transform the world spiritually and the very order of creation. Amen? From injustice to justice, from domination to a shared mutuality, from privilege to some to all. 
who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior now belongs in God's family. So our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ experienced difficulties in life. And therefore, church, we can expect it too. It doesn't mean that we won't have times of blessing and celebration, of course, but there are seasons of difficulties. So if we are disciples of the real Jesus and we stand for Jesus' mission statement, then we can guarantee rejection, failure, and disappointment, which is our topic for today's series. So then, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do if this discipleship journey guarantees difficulty? Well, church, this is where we turn to Romans 8. This is where we turn to Romans 8, and I believe that Paul tells us in times of difficulties, again, to plan for it, to be patient in it, pray through it, and to project forward with a longer view in mind. Now, here in Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and they are experiencing a lot of division in their common life together. Now, they're experiencing division because many of the Jews were expelled from Rome because the Emperor Claudius thought the Jews were disrupting the order of the city. So he had them removed. And church, that is the insidious power of an unjust ruler who can just remove people if they don't agree with them, right? So the Jews are coming back now that the Emperor Claudius is no longer in control, Nero is leading, And the Jews and Gentiles are having a hard time figuring out life together. Culturally, they are very different from one another. They're trying to figure out, how do we do this multi-ethnic, multicultural life together? A good question for us here at Sanctuary, right? And in their disagreements and their misunderstandings, they're acting more like the empire instead of disciples of the true Jesus. They are divided. They're suspicious of one another. They're burdened with fear, and they're hoarding their resources. And this is not what disciples do in community together. So Paul is writing to them, and he's telling them to follow Lord Jesus, not Lord Caesar. Act differently with one another. Be unified. See each other with love and embrace. Have hope. And share mutually with one another what you have. Paul is asking in many ways of them to recall Luke 4. Recall Jesus' very mission. And remember that the work of discipleship is a work of resisting the world's order and bringing about God's order. And that in the work of doing that and resisting the dominant oppressive ways of the empire, there will be difficulty. So Paul is really answering our question today. What is the work of a disciple? The work is to proclaim Jesus as Lord and not save Caesar as Lord. The work of disciples is to bring love and grace into a violent and unforgiving world. And the journey of, on the journey of discipleship, there will be rejection, failure, and disappointment. So what are we supposed to do? First, plan for it. Church, can you say plan for it? Plan for hard times to come. And this one, church, is really hard for me. Now, I've shared with you many times before in other sermons that I like order. I do. I like a plan. And I like a plan that has a specific step and uh, procedure, and I like to have a pre-plan for that plan if that doesn't work out. And if that pre-plan doesn't work, I have a pre-pre-plan. 
But Romans 8, verses 18 through 23, tells us that we can expect difficulties. Verses 22 and 23 specifically say, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Paul is saying here, the world is broken. The world won't fully understand Jesus' true message, so you will experience hardships. In fact, you can plan on it. But this isn't just a statement or a fact that will experience hardship. There's actually deeper wisdom here. Or at least for me as a planner and as a mom of young kids, there is a wisdom that I need to sit in in this. Because often when I plan a day with my children, I bring along with it all of my expectations. Anyone do that ever? And often if my kids' mood or their hunger or whatever get in the way, I often find that I'm not super flexible with them. Because I have this expectations about things should go a certain way, they're not going that way, and now I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated. But in reading Paul's words, I am convicted. I'm convicted that there's wisdom in planning for difficulty. There's wisdom here because when we approach it with a different perspective, something changes. So if you are in a situation, a circumstance of of difficulty, and you're so overcome by just the surprise of the difficulty, most likely you'll feel stuck, paralyzed in that situation and letting it control you. So church, are you feeling stuck? Stuck in where you are in life right now? Or, Or maybe you plan life to go a certain way. It didn't go that way, and now you're angry. And now your anger controls you. Because church, when we don't plan for difficulty to come, then it controls us when it does. When we don't plan for difficulty to come in our lives, then it controls us when it does come. So what is controlling you right now? Paul says to plan for difficulty in life. Second, when inevitable difficulty comes, Paul says, be patient in it. Church, say, be patient in it. Verses 24 through 25 says, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, when I consider the word patient, again, I think of my kids. Oh, Lord, I think of the many times that I have told my kids, just be patient. Just be patient for a little bit longer, right? Any moms? Come on. Yes. But if I'm really honest, what I really mean when I say be patient is please just make this easier. Like, please just be quiet a little bit longer. Please don't complain, right? And at least in my upbringing, patience was equated with silence. It was equated with inaction. That if you're patient, then you don't complain. You don't burden people. If you're patient, then you just sit there. You don't act. You don't move. But patience in the Greek evokes something different. 
It evokes something deeper. Patience in Greek implies certainly a character of long suffering, of steadfastness, of the ability to offer grace even when it's hard, to be wise and faithful. But there's also an action attributed with patience. So church, are you waiting for something right now? I know that collectively we are longing for justice in our world. Amen? Church, it has been a very full summer, a full summer of just overwhelming need of the world's need for justice, of a just God and just disciples bringing into the world this just mission of the church. The world needs it. The world is groaning and longing for that hope. Now, the Romans were actually in a similar position. So Paul's words were to them was to be patient. But that didn't mean that they should just put up with it. It didn't mean that they should just suck it up and deal with injustice. Be patient means, uh, you know, not do anything. That's not what Paul means. Instead, Paul means we act. Act in patience with compassion and mercy. That's hard, isn't it? That takes patience to act in compassion and mercy and love. We act with hope and love in the world that someday it will be restored. So if we are waiting for something, then how is God asking you to act in wisdom, to act in faithfulness as you hope and patiently wait? Patience implies a wise action. Third, In difficult times, Paul tells us to pray through it. Church, say pray through it. Pray through it. Verses 26 and 27 read, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, these verses clearly convey the truth that we are weak, and in our times of weakness, we need prayer to sustain us. Amen? We need prayer. But we could see that as such a uh, factual statement, but it's actually a really humbling word if we sit with it. Because too often, at least for myself, I pride myself on the fact that I don't need others to help me solve my problems in life. If something is going on, then I can rationalize and plan my way through it. But Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy for the humbling reality that when I am weak, there are times when I am even so weak that I can't even pray for myself. Amen. We need each other on this journey of discipleship to have prayer partners on this journey. So when the road has a detour or maybe there's a road close sign in in your journey with God, we need others who are helping us navigate a new way through prayer. Because it is prayer that gives us that new way, that detour, that other route. So who's praying with you today, Sanctuary? Who's praying you through in your difficult times? Do you have people who you're sharing openly with about the journey? Because there are times that we have longings and sighs that are too deep for words, right? 
We need people on the journey to strengthen us. Or maybe prayer has become more of a wish list to you. I know I am certainly guilty of that in times in my life. That prayer is just a wish list. God, I need all these things to happen. Please let them just happen exactly the way I want them to go. We know God doesn't work that way, amen? If our prayers are only asking God for things, then we won't be led through a prayer life with God on a journey of transformation. We won't. Because it is through prayer that God transforms us. James 5 verse 13 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Prayer is what changes our circumstances. Prayer is what gives us a new perspective. Prayer is what gives us strength and helps us understand what God's will is when there's a roadblock in the road. So if we find ourselves in this detour of life, if the road was closed where we thought we were headed, now we have to make this sudden change of plans, and it's prayer that's going to guide us. It's prayer that's going to change our situation. Finally, in times of difficulty and disappointment, Paul says project. Project forward with a longer view in mind. Verse 28 in Romans 8 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, church, often we want to jump to this verse, right? This verse is the one that offers the hope. It offers the assurance. It's the happy ending. But sometimes we've used it as a statement that bad things won't happen. Or if bad things do happen to you, then maybe God's love isn't as big as we thought. Or maybe I did something and God is withholding love from me. That's not how God works, is it? And that is not what that verse means either. This verse isn't a guarantee that our life will be easy. Instead, it's a reminder that we need to have the longer view in mind. That things may not be right now, but glory is coming. That justice may not be present now, but glory is coming. That pain and suffering are real right now, but glory is coming, church. That my eyes are fixed on the problem. I can't see my way out, but glory is coming. And as God's people, we're supposed to have the longer view in mind, trusting that restoration will come, even though it seems impossible. And having this longer view in mind and trusting God that God has an outcome that's different than this difficulty, even when it seems hopeless. But having the longer view in mind doesn't mean we sit idly right now. It doesn't, it's not a pass for inaction, because remember in our patience through trials, it's an active sort of waiting. Having the longer view in mind also assumes that we not only expect difficulties to arise, but also expect that difficulties will pr produce growth. So church, maybe you're in a situation, a circumstance in your life, and it's taken this turn that you weren't quite expecting, and, and you're left being frustrated or angry. Maybe you just feel stuck and confused, despair. Because often the road isn't what we expect it to be, right? The roadblock isn't what we planned. But church, why do detours exist in the first place? To protect you. 
to help you avoid danger or something that you don't want to get mixed up in church. So God provides another route. There's another path or a turn in the road. And yes, it takes longer. Yes, it might feel harder, more painful. But the detour is what leads you to a better path. So church, we got to have the longer view in mind. we got to expect that detours will come, that we'll have the patience through it, pray through it, that we will see the glory of God on the other side. Amen. We're going to wrap up soon. I want to invite the worship team up. But church, Paul makes it really clear for us this morning. He makes it clear that roadblocks will come, that there will be detours along the way for following Jesus, that trials and pains and suffering will come, and our response is to live differently, to react differently in this world. Because after all, the very definition of a detour is a route that is different from the ordinary. A detour is a route that is different from what's ordinary. So when we're following Jesus, church, we're automatically taking off the freeway. We're automatically going on a different route than the rest of the world. But that path leads to something, right? It leads to Jesus, that glory, that glory one day. And that Jesus' way will be different from what's familiar. But there will be patience and prayer, looking through the longer view, but we know glory is at the end of it. So church, discipleship isn't easy if we're following the real Jesus, right? But I am convinced that it's worth it. It is worth it because we see the glory that's to come, that we have a hope like no other. We have an assurance that will withstand any trial, and we have a God who will pave the way for us. So church, would you stand with me this morning, today? If you're able, stand. And church, if you come today and you find yourself in a space of disappointment, or maybe you're feeling discouragement or confusion, there's been a roadblock in the journey that you thought you were on, and God is bringing you on this new journey, you're not quite sure what it looks like that our prayer team will be up front this morning. They want to pray with you. When you don't have the words to say, they want to pray with you. Because remember, prayer is what gives us that new journey, that transformation. So church, let's sing together about the God who is greater than any trial that we'll ever face. Amen?